five or six years, about ten years ago, and is instrumental in um, us being here. Uh, we, Adam and I, wouldn't feel this call to ministry if we didn't see the ministry that God had worked out through the life of Kevin and Heidi. And in our lowest moments in life, Kevin was the one I called. And uh, he dropped everything, and he was there with us. And he he's ministered to our souls in such a deep way um, that we are forever indebted to him. So this, even this work of God that we see here is Kevin's instrumental behind it, even years prior to this. So we just wanted to... Um, Give him an opportunity to share Word of God and what what He's doing. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we, we come to You and we come to drink of Your well, in, which is Your Word. This living water, I pray that it might change our hearts, that we would behold Your beauty, that You would prepare our minds and soften our hearts to receive Your Word. That when we have these dreams and they, they become shattered, what are we to do, God? What are we to do when everything that we plan on, it's all for naught or it doesn't work out? God, I pray that you and your truth would become evident to us in this time. Amen. Thanks, Jake. It's a delight to be here, and uh, my wife and I both uh, are very excited about what God will do with Redemption City Church. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Second Samuel. In Second Samuel... Uh, chapter 7 is a story about King David's desire to build a temple for God. Second Samuel, chapter 7. We'll read that in just a moment. The year was 1920. The scene was the examination board for missionary candidates up in Canada. Standing before the board was a man named Oswald Smith. And one dream dominated his heart. He wanted to be a missionary. Over and over, throughout his life, from the stories in Sunday school, to the sermons, to the missionary conferences, he prayed, Lord, I want to be a missionary. I want to go reach people for you. Open a door of service for me. And now at last, his dream was just about to become a reality. The examination was over. The board asked him lots of questions. They were looking for those candidates that were suitable for mission work. And when they were done, they turned Oswald Smith down. He didn't meet their qualifications for a missionary. He failed the test. He had a dream. He set a course of direction for his life. And God gave him a detour. What would he do now? Today... We're going to look at when God says no to a dream. Everybody dreams. And I don't mean like at night when you're sleeping and you have a dream of something like that. I mean a dream for your life. When you look out at your life and you dream of being or doing something. And I don't want to confuse that with desires. Everyone has desires and all of our desires are kind of universally the same, right? Our desires are things like to be loved, to make a difference, to matter, to be known, to be with others, to have friends. These are desires that we all have that are common. But a dream is the particular vision to an individual in which you see those desires becoming a reality. To dream is much more individualized. A dream is a course of action in life where we see our desires being met. 
One might dream like Oswald Smith to be a missionary. Another one dreams of being a mother or a pilot or a fireman or building a classic vehicle or playing an instrument or getting into a team. Everyone dreams. I have dreamed of being a farmer, a preacher, a father, an entrepreneur, a handyman, and others. Some of those dreams went pretty well and some didn't didn't go too good. Sometimes a person stops dreaming because they've been disappointed so much they don't want the hurt that comes with dreaming and having it unfulfilled. Let's get personal. Think in your mind, not out loud. Think in your mind, what is my dream? What do you dream? Or what have you dreamed? Is it something that you want to be or do or have? or see, or know, or learn? What is your dream? Has God said no to your dream? What do you do when you have a dream and God says no? Someone here has dreamed of marriage and they're single. Someone here maybe has dreamed of being in a happy marriage and they're miserable. Someone's dreamed of a school and not got in. Someone's dreamed of children and they're infertile or unable. Someone's dreamed of healthy children and they're not sure they will ever have that. Someone's dreamed of being healthy and now wonders if that is ever possible. Someone's dreamed of a vibrant ministry and gotten a broken heart. What do you dream? In the opening illustration about Oswald Smith, after his devastating disappointment, his rejection as a missionary candidate, he prayed and God planted another idea in his heart. If he could not go as a missionary, he thought, that's fine, I'll build a church and we'll raise up a church that raises money and sends missionaries out. And that's what he did. Oswald Smith pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada, which sent out more missionaries than any other church in Canada in the time frame when he pastored. Oswald Smith brought God into the situation, and God transformed his detour into an avenue of service. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David dreams of building a house for God. Let's read that together. 2 Samuel Chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do everything that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you going to build a house for me? Rhetorical question answers no. From that time, I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today. I have not lived in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with the tabernacle tent. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever asked for anyone among the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people to build me a house? Have I asked, why haven't you built me a house? This is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture and from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. I will establish a place for my people Israel and plant them so they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not afflict them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people, Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. 
The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, thinking there of Jesus Christ. I'll be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And when he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others. But my faithful love will never leave him as I removed it from Saul. I removed him from your way. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. And Nathan spoke all these words and the entire vision to David and David's dream is crushed. Next verse. Then the king went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? David dreams of building a house for God. And it's a noble dream, isn't it? To build a gigantic, gorgeous temple for God instead of a tent with curtains flapping in the wind. God's been in a tent, literally and metaphorically, for 500 years since Exodus. And David, who is a very successful leader, gets a vision to build a place for God. He tells Nathan, the prophet, prophets were given by God to people to guide them, to steer them, kind of like the preacher of the day. And David tells his vision to the preacher, to Nathan, and Nathan says, go for it. Do everything that's in your heart. Godspeed. David's pumped. He's excited. He's thrilled to have the stamp of approval from God's prophet. But that night, God goes to Nathan and says, hey, that's not my plan. God tells Nathan that he needs to go to David the next day and tell David that God does not want you to build him a house. Oh, he's going to get a house all right. God's going to get a house. And it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be stunning. And it's going to be awesome. But he doesn't want you to do it. Has that happened to you? Have you had a dream and God says no? I want to notice from the text today three things. I want to notice what to do when you're dreaming. Okay? What to do when your dream is challenged and what to do when your dream is taken away. First, let's look to do what to do when you're dreaming. Number one, don't let your position validate your dream. Don't let your position validate your dream. Think of it. David is the most successful warrior king in the history of the Israelite nation. They have rest on every side. He's subdued all of his enemies. They are at peace. He lives in a mansion. The people are happy. Everything is going good. And this guy, this successful leader like none they've ever seen, God chose him, put him in this place, made him successful. And he says, I think I have a dream. I'm going to build a tabernacle for God. And the prophet goes, go for it. Who in the world would say no to that, right? Well, God did. His position almost demanded this course of action. It seemed such a natural thing. And nobody in their right mind would contradict this because his position is like, well, sure, he should do whatever he wants. Look how successful he is. And sometimes your position as a mother, a father, a pastor, a preacher, a missionary can validate a dream in your life that God does not want you to have. David was highly successful. He had a lot of liberty to dream. 
And God said, no, I don't want you to have that dream. Very difficult for Nathan to go back and tell this person, hey, God says no. But that's what God said. God said no. Don't let your position validate your dream. Number two, don't let a yes make you deaf to a no. David shares his dream with Nathan. And Nathan says, go for it. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think Nathan as a prophet, he knew David was a man after God's own heart. David wasn't living in sin or wanting to do something evil. He didn't say, hey, I want to build a temple to Baal. He wants to build a temple to God. And Nathan rightfully says, well, I think go do, do what's in your heart. Go for it. And so David gets a yes from the man who advised him, the prophet, the preacher. And that night, God comes to him and tells him something different. Don't let a yes make you deaf to a no. Sometimes you might have a dream for a church, a ministry, a life, a vocation, a family, and God has a different idea. And just because a course of action has been going one day, one way, and there's a yes, does not mean that God might not have a no in store for something in that arena. And then thirdly, don't impose your dreams on others. You know, God didn't ask for a house, did he? No, no scripture, no prophet, nobody, no, nobody ever said anything about God wanting a house for himself. He had the tabernacle, and that's what God designed, and they built that for him, and they moved it around. And David, in a sense, was imposing his dream on God. God says to Nathan to tell David, have I ever asked for a house? Have I ever complained about the tabernacle? When I'm ready, I'll get a house. No matter how noble your dream might be, or no matter how good it sounds, or how good it looks, it might not be the will of God. David had a dream for something for God, and God had a different idea. Sometimes pastors have dreams for churches or people, and God has a different idea. Sometimes parents have dreams for children, and God has a different idea. Sometimes a husband has a dream for a wife, or a wife has a dream for a husband, and God has a different idea. When you're dreaming, don't impose your dreams on others. So what do we do when our dream is challenged? When we're dreaming, we want to make sure that we don't let our position validate our dream, that we don't let a yes make us deaf to a no, and we don't impose our dreams on others. What about when your dream is challenged? First, remember what God has done. Isn't it interesting that when Nathan comes to David and tells him, no, you're not going to build a house, that then God immediately has Nathan rehearse for David what God had already done for him. And you might be thinking, well, God didn't really say no. He just said, are you going to be the one to build me a house? Well, the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 4 is a parallel passage. Some of the 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, some of that overlaps. And in that particular version, the writer said that Nathan was to go and tell David, you are not the one. So it's pretty clear that God said no to this. But right away, Nathan rehearses what God did and what he will do. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be a ruler. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've destroyed all your enemies. Nathan rehearses for David all the things that God has done for him. He took him from being a shepherd boy. They were marching his brothers by the prophet, looking for the new king of Israel. And it's like, nope, none of those. And, well, is there anybody else, anybody else out there? Well, there's this, there's this gruddy, grungy shepherd boy out there. Well, go get him. 
They drug this little kid in that nobody knew about. They didn't even care to have him prayed in front with his brothers. They drug him in, and that was the one that God chose. And that's not because David was so mighty and powerful and wonderful and smart and theologically trained. It was because that's the one that God chose who he put his favor on and decided that God was going to make a great king, a great nation out of him. Beloved, when your dream is challenged, you need to be reminded of what God has done. God saved me. I was blind to the fact that I wasn't a Christian. I was in college when I became a Christian. I was 18. And I remember studying the books of the New Testament. I went to a Christian college. And I remember realizing one day that I knew all about God. I grew up in a Baptist church. I knew all about God. But I didn't know Him at all. And my heart was convicted and I repented. And I turned to Christ. And God saved me and gave me a new vision to live for Him. God's done so much for me. God has been so kind to me. And I could rehearse, like Nathan did with David, all of the things all along the way where I can see God working in my life if I look back. But sometimes if I have a dream and it gets squashed, I forget all those things. And all I can see is the catastrophe or the challenge in front of me. And that happens to you too. Beloved, when your dream gets challenged, you've got to remember what God has done for you. And in these passages, after God tells David what he has done for him, he tells him what he's going to do. This is known all over theological circles as the covenant with David. The word covenant's never used, but this is a covenant that God makes with David to do some things for him in the future. He's going to reaffirm the promise of the land that God gave to Abraham in verse 10. And then he says, a son will follow you as a king in verse 12. And then he tells David, I'm going to establish the throne of that son in verse 13 forever. A reference to Jesus Christ coming. And the New Testament writers reference back to this passage over and over again, the covenant that God made with David. So not only does he tell him what he did for him, he tells him what he's going to do. And if you read your Bible, you'll see the same thing in your own life. You'll see what God did for you, how he took you out of the pit and saved you and gave you a heart that understands and knows and loves and can search for God. And the Bible tells you what God's going to do for you. And then he says, lastly, in verse 16, that your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Remember what God has done when your dream is challenged. And secondly, listen to godly counsel. So many people have had a crisis in life and they don't think a lot about the church or God or the pastor and then they have a crisis and all of a sudden they want to talk to somebody that talks about God or knows God or is a pastor. Listen to godly counsel. You have to have someone, some person, some structure, some group, some place in your life where you can bounce off what God is doing in your life to get feedback because sometimes you might have a wrong idea. I don't know how many times at night I've woken up and I, I thought, man, this is just the most awesome sermon idea I've ever had. I've got to write this down. I keep a pen by my nightstand so I can write this down. Oh, this is going to be great. I up in the morning. I'm like, what in the world is that? It's like, I, I mean... But sometimes in life you have a dream and you need the people of God to help you interpret that. And David listened to the counsel of Nathan, a godly person. Remember what God has done when your dream is challenged. Listen to godly counsel and be thankful for what God has done in your life. It is fascinating to me when you read the entire chapter to realize that after this happens, after Nathan tells David this, that David goes in and sits down before the Lord. He went in, he sat down before the Lord and said, Who am I that you've brought me this far 
what you have done was a little thing, God. You've spoken about your servant's house, what you're doing in the future. David sits down before God and rehearses verse after verse a prayer of thankfulness for what God has already done for him in light of the fact that God just took away a dream. When your dream is challenged, you have to remember what God has done. You have to listen to godly counsel. And you have to be thankful for what God has done for you. Thankfulness is the antidote to frustration and disappointment. Thankfulness is the antidote to frustration and disappointment. David responds to a crushed plan with a humble prayer of thanks before God. And it was Humble because he was such a mighty man, such a mighty leader for him to accept that revelation and go before God and kneel down and be thankful is a very humble thing to do. I have not been so good in my own life to have my dreams crushed and to respond in humility. Sometimes I've been very angry. No matter how bad your situation, the things for which you can be thankful for will always outweigh the things that bring disappointment in your life. No matter how bad your situation, the things that you can be thankful for will always outweigh the things that cause disappointment. Otherwise, God would be a liar. Always it will outweigh the things for which you can be disappointed. Hebrews 12.28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us be thankful. That's in Hebrews 12. You know what happens in Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12? right? The, 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 the story of all the saints in the faith and how by faith this and by faith that, and then it converts over to those people that were tortured and killed and beaten and maimed and goes through all of these horrible things that happened to people. First, it talks about the faithful people and how by faith they were saved and they did this and they did this, and then it talks about all the terrible things that happened. And after all of that, after all those hard things that happened to so many Christians before us, The Bible says, since we're receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us be thankful. No matter how bad your situation is on the horizon for you forever, if you're a Christian, it's a kingdom that can never be shaken. Ever. And you can be thankful for that. When your dream is challenged, remember what God's done. Listen to godly counsel and then be thankful for what God has done. And then lastly, when your dream's taken away. When your dream is taken away. I, I love what happened in verse 18 because David went in and sat before the Lord. When your dream is taken away, go towards God and not away. You know what I'm talking about. You know people in your life when God crushed their dreams and they ran away. They were angry with God. They were hurt. They were disappointed. They were struggling. And they just disappeared because they're angry at God. And David, in all of this anguish, ran towards God. He went to the temple and he sat down before God in humility. When your dream is crushed, go towards God and not away, number one. Number two, have the courage to trust God. Verse 27 says it right out loud. We didn't read that, but it says here, that since you, the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, this is David talking to God in his prayer, verse 27, since you, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you, therefore your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Do you get that? 
David acknowledges when he's talking to God that what is happening right now in this prayer of thankfulness to God takes courage. It takes courage to have your dreams crushed by the God who crushed them and then turn to that God and be thankful. It takes courage. Anybody can run away. I've run away. Some of you have run away. Jared Wilson wrote a book called The Story of Everything, and it's a book about how everything in your life fits into the plan of God. And he says in there, I have a problem with all the chase your dream cheerleading from Christian ministries today. It's not because I begrudge people who want to achieve their dreams, but because I don't think we readily see how easy it is to confuse our dream chasing with God's will in Christ. You know, it's possible that God's... Still Jared writing, not me talking. It's possible that God's plan for us is littleness. His plan for us might be failure. It's possible that when another door closes, there's not going to be a window that opens. It's Jared still writing. The question we must ask ourselves is, if the building falls down around us, will God still be enough? And to embrace that kind of logic into your heart, into your mind, to have a dream fade away, to go towards God and sit before Him in thankfulness and say, God, I love you, I trust you, what you're going to do, what you've said, takes courage. Any coward can run away. It takes courage because it's hard. It takes courage because it's right. When it's right, it takes courage. When it's wrong, it's folly. No courage to be wrong. It would be wrong to continue a dream that God says no to. That doesn't take courage, that's folly. When your dream's taken away, go towards God and not away. Number two, have the courage to trust God. And number three, allow God's dream to become your dream. You know, if your dream's been crushed, God's got a different one for you. I mean, God's dream for David was not for David to build a temple for him. It was for his son to do it. And David actually spends much of the rest of his life compiling all the plans and all the material so that his son could build a temple, a temple that David would never see. And there's people like that in this church and all over the kingdom of God who work and labor tirelessly behind the scenes for something that they will never see. Do you have the courage to labor like that for someone in a church, in a ministry? Allow God's dream to become your dream and embrace God's dream before you can see it. I mean, let's be real. David has Nathan come in to him and tell him all this stuff, and David goes to the temple because he's, he's hurting. To be honest, he's hurting here. He's struggling. And he embraces God's dream before he realizes what's actually going on. You can do the same thing. And then thirdly, embrace the promises of God. Go towards God, not away. Have the courage to trust God. Allow God's dream to become your dream. And then embrace the promises of God. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 25, David says to God, Now, Lord God, fulfill the promises that you have made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised. Do you want to know what God's promised for you? Read the Bible. You'll see it. It's full of promises that God made for you and God made for me in every situation. The Bible is full of those promises, and you can embrace those promises no matter what your situation. Embrace the promises of God. 
And then lastly, when your dream's taken away, prepare for a new dream. Is that fair? Prepare for a new dream. This one got crushed. I'm going to turn to God. It's hard because I want to run away, but I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to sit before Him. I'm going to be thankful, and I'm going to prepare for a new dream. To do that, three things. Number one, fight bitterness. Fight bitterness. Do not become bitter at the loss of a dream. Prepare for a new one. And then look for what you might have missed. And then revert back to when your dream is challenged. Prepare for a new dream. Fight the bitterness that wants to creep in. You want to be angry. You want to be mad. You want to blame somebody. You want to hide. You want to run away. Fight the bitterness. Look for what you might have missed. Is there something here? Maybe God doesn't want me to be a missionary. Maybe he wants me to send missionaries and I can do more good for God that way. And then revert back to when your dream is challenged, which is remember what God has done, listen to godly counsel, and be thankful for what God has done. So, here's where we stop. Here's how we end. Do you have a dream that has slipped away from you? Do you have a dream that has slipped away from you? If so, have the courage to trust God for a different one. Do you have a dream that you're working on right now? Hasn't slipped away, but you've got a dream. Be humble enough to allow God to change it. Third, are you afraid to dream? You're fearful. You've dreamed. Hasn't worked out. You're sad. You're disappointed. You're bitter. You're crushed. You're afraid to dream. I won't even dream. I don't even, want, I don't even have any hopes anymore. All the hopes are gone. I don't have any. I have no expectations. I can't be disappointed. Right? If you're afraid to dream, ask God to give you the courage to dream. Are you bitter because you lost your dream? Are you bitter because you lost your dream? Practice thankfulness. If you're bitter because you lost your dream, practice thankfulness. And lastly, do you have no dream at all? Then ask God to give you one so that you can see Him work and see Him be amazed. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the folks in Scripture whose stories echo sometimes the stories that we are living in our own lives. Thank you for this story. Father, I pray that you would give us dreams that honor you, that are your will, and give us the courage to come back to you when we are sad and disappointed. In Jesus' name, amen.